Hello, and welcome to the Develop Podcast. Thanks for listening. My name is Ben Gilbert, and I'm hosting a series of episodes which explore how the Salvation Army is working within different communities around the world. In this episode, I'm speaking to three members of the Anti-Trafficking and Modern Slavery Unit of the Salvation Army, Trebeni Gurung, Tulawanami Jaibo, and Anne Gregora. The three of them work specifically on anti-trafficking programs that are internationally based, so I've asked them about their work, particularly at this time during COVID-19. Well, good morning, Trebeni, Tulawanimi and Anne. Thank you very much for spending some time with us on this podcast. Um, great to see you. So just before we start off, I'd just like to, to mention that the actual day that we're we're recording this on. This is the, the 30th of July 2020 and it happens to be the United Nations World Day Against Trafficking in Persons which is very apt for what we're going to talk about today because you guys are all working for the Anti-Trafficking and Modern Slavery Unit and if, if you don't mind just to start off just to give people who perhaps aren't so familiar with trafficking could you give us some examples or just a, a brief overview of the types of projects that we support around the world? Sure, Ben. Just before I do that, uh, I really want to thank you for acknowledging today and, and the World Day Against Trafficking. It, it is a really important time, I think, for people on the front line to be able to take some space of reflection, um, but also just to reflect on, on the scale of the problem around the world. Reflect on the fact that um, trafficking is not going away, that um, as we learn more about trafficking, we learn that um, there's more people than we ever realised in slave-like conditions or being tricked and trapped into exploitative situations. Um, so it's a good time to reflect on that and for us, obviously, to pray about the situation um, and at the same time to also reflect on the growth of the response um, to combat trafficking. Um, so in terms of the projects that we support fall into the categories of um, providing some element of prevention of trafficking for vulnerable communities, some element of protection for people who have been trafficked, um, and also working in partnership with a range of organisations to make sure there's a holistic response in the community. So our projects are, are pretty um, diverse depending on the country in which they are in. We do work in Malawi and Tanzania, working with a short-term recovery centre and then return home program follow-up for about 12 months to a program in, in Bangladesh where we're working closely in the red light district with women who have been trafficked into the brothels, to prevention work in Poland where we do a job verification service, hoping to support migrants who are looking for safe migration routes as opposed to risky job offers, to working with um, orphans in Ukraine through a local corps to try and equip them with life skills um, because the evidence is, is clear that orphans are at a higher risk of trafficking. So, so we're really trying to respond based on the need as it presents in each country and, and as the territory has self-identified. We're really excited by, by the different diverse ways that we can respond to trafficking. The UK territory itself has a huge anti-trafficking contract with the government here. What, what type of links are there with the international side of our work and the local national UK side of our work? Could you just explain a little bit of, of that for us? Sure, sure. Uh, within our international development work, of course, we want to support a project that has been identified from the territory where they where the response will be. So that's our first priority. 
But obviously, we know that, as I said, that trafficking is transnational. So, for example, over the last however number of years that we've held the government contract, consistently people from Nigeria have ended up exploited in the UK. And, and we can see a really clear link between people in ending up in the UK from Nigeria and possible project work in Nigeria by the Salvation Army. So a number of years ago, we actually started um, an intentional journey and an intentional relationship with Nigeria in order to see if there was a prevention and protection response that we could have in Nigeria. And the Nigerian Territory, um, I mean, they had this idea long before we did. And so we went on a journey with Nigeria. Um, we were, again, fortunate enough to receive government funding for that. Um, and Nigeria for the last four years now has been implementing a community awareness and recovery program where we're trying to learn from survivors experience here in the UK and, and find out the narrative or the experience that a survivor has when they come from Nigeria to the UK and then feed that back into the messaging that we then form and, and give in Nigeria. I mean, often people will say that in Nigeria, everybody knows about trafficking. Everyone knows about trafficking, but they still go because the situation for many people is so desperate. But the reality is, is that we're facing is that many people may know that they're going to end up in some form of exploitation, but they don't know about the journey that they're going to have to go on before they even reach the UK or other countries in Europe. They don't know about the form of exploitation that they're going to experience along that journey. They really don't know about the way that they will be trapped and, and unable to escape when they arrive in the UK. So it's, it's really about us learning from what we can here in the UK and transporting that information back to Nigeria so that we can tell the true story. Through that story, hopefully change people's attitudes and, and then their behaviours um, when it comes to thinking that it's worth the risk. Trebeni, if I can just come to you, we're obviously working now in a time of COVID-19. What impact is the pandemic having on people who are vulnerable to being trafficked? And what impact on survivors of those who have already been trafficked? Thanks, Ben. So we know that the pandemic has had quite a massive impact on many people on one way or the other. We know that one of the key common impacts that has occurred is the loss of livelihoods. So this is basically people who have lost their jobs and economic activity. So for instance, the garment industry in India and Bangladesh has had reduced orders and a halt in trading, mainly because there's been a decrease in consumer demands. And this has actually led to 1 million employees being laid off or made redundant. These trends have also been quite common in countries such as Thailand and Cambodia, where factory workers have also lost their jobs. There is now an economic instability, and this can actually send people into desperate situations which traffickers and bogus employers may benefit from. So migrant workers are one population who we know have been heavily affected by the pandemic. And this is because there are now travel restrictions in place and also the fact that borders are now closed and migrant workers can't actually return home. Employers themselves might actually be worried about their own financial conditions. And this means that they might even be holding on to pay, making the workers themselves quite vulnerable to trafficking. It's not only the workers, but it's also their families who are affected, as many of them rely on the salaries and the income made by the migrant workers, which are then sent back to their home families. In Malaysia, for example, we are aware that migrant workers are also borrowing money from agents in order to survive. But this can actually lead to cases of debt bondage. For survivors on the front line, we acknowledge that there are reduced services due to lockdown measures, 
and also the fact that we've not been able to provide face-to-face -face support for survivors who may actually need it. Court cases are also put on hold, meaning that survivors may not receive any access to support, uh, which they actually would need at quite an early stage on. We are trying to utilise online methods of communication with survivors, but there's a challenge here that some survivors may not have access to mobile phones or electronic devices, and this means that it prevents them from c communicating and contacting their caseworkers and social workers. In shared accommodations such as uh, safe houses and shelters, there also may be feelings of being trapped indoors and feelings of isolation. And here there's the danger that survivors may recall emotions similar to ones that they have experienced during their exploitation. So Trebeni, you've, you've told us about uh, people you know, being vulnerable to, to trafficking or becoming more vulnerable to trafficking because of the pandemic. What are the specific risks associated with trafficking which are particularly heightened during the pandemic? And, and I guess this is the really key part, like what can we do about it? Um, and what are we starting to do about it during this time? Thanks, Ben. That's a really good question. We acknowledge that there are various risks associated with trafficking, uh, which are actually heightened and increased during the pandemic. One of them being the risks of violence and abuse. And in particular, I'm talking about domestic workers who may be in confined spaces. Domestic workers are also prone to higher risk of physical and verbal abuse. And this may be the fact that because employees in private households may also be stressed during the lockdown period, given the restriction of movement. Employers may also be worried about their finances and may hold on to their domestic workers' pay. I do want to give you one example, though, of how the Salvation Army were involved in repatriating a domestic worker. The Salvation Army in Myanmar were recently involved in repatriating a domestic worker from Mizoram. So this domestic worker had actually suffered uh, violence and abuse from their employer. The domestic worker was actually uh, abused by her employer and it was the Salvation Army who rescued her and then repatriated her back to her home in Mizoram in India. A second key risk that we see is online exploitation. Traffickers at the moment have also adapted their recruitment approach, with many more of them going online to recruit their victims. Considering now that there are a lot of children who are also taking online classes, this actually puts them at a risk and there's dangers that children can fall at the hands of traffickers. In the Philippines, for example, the country has one of the highest number, numbers of online child sexual exploitation. And the government recently announced that in the lockdown period, there were more than 270,000 cases of online child sexual exploitation. An NGO in India also noted that since lockdown began, viewing of child pornography over the internet has increased to 95%. These are all very worrying statistics and something that we should all be aware of at the moment. There are also risks of early child marriage. So for instance, parents at the moment who have lost their jobs and their income, they may want to marry off their daughters in order to decrease the burden of finances in the household. Children at the moment may also be sent to work in urban areas and this risks child trafficking and child labour. These risks are bound to remain even post-COVID, considering that once uh, lockdown eases, there are also risks of trafficking. People are going to be starting looking for jobs in order to support themselves and this is something that traffickers may also play on. In terms of what the Salvation Army can do, we can continue maintaining our communication with community members and survivors. So having those conversations with our core members and also our congregation, even when doing outreach or our rapid response, we can always have that conversation with our community members and making them aware of human trafficking that might be potentially occurring in their community. We can also listen out for the signs, methods and vulnerabilities of human trafficking. We can continue to raise awareness of human trafficking and modern slavery, perhaps even through online platforms, 
and also being able to resource and provide tools for the community to prevent and report trafficking cases. To the one of me, if I come to you now, so the Salvation Army has an international modern slavery and human trafficking strategy. How does that apply to us in the UK as part of international development, UK territory? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ben. Um, I'll just talk very briefly about what the strategy is and what it contains. So um, the strategy is part of, I guess, a commitment that the Salvation Army globally has made to respond to modern slavery and human trafficking. And so that was launched in 2018. And it includes a mandate, um, which is that the Salvation Army would respond to modern slavery and human trafficking in every country that it has presence in. And I think that's, that is a big commitment for the Salvation Army and a very important commitment because um, human trafficking is, is across borders. And as a Salvation Army, that we are also across borders, it only just makes sense for us to be able to utilize the resources that we have to also respond to you know, this global crime. Part of that is that there should be somebody um, in every single country that the Salvation Army has presence in that coordinates or leads that response. And that person is, we call them a national contact person. And included in the strategy as well is um, recognition of a framework that we use to respond to modern slavery and human trafficking, which we call the Freedom Framework. And that has eight parts. So it includes things like, you know, partnerships, um, protection, prevention, um, participation, and others. But at a minimum, and we say that every single country that the Salvation Army has presence in should respond through prevention, which is through awareness raising and through prayer as well. So the way the UK territory um, comes into this is that we are supporting the implementation of the strategy by working with international headquarters. Um, And we're supporting the implementation of the strategy in the Africa zone, the South Asia zone, the South Pacific and East Asia zone, and in South and Latin America and the Caribbean. And um, we're really doing that um, by building or supporting the national contact persons as they respond to modern slavery and human trafficking, because it's important to note that the contact persons are not necessarily modern slavery and human trafficking practitioners per se. So a lot of the contact persons are, you know, officers or are lay lay personnel that um, that have a passion or have an interest or their work intersects somehow with human trafficking. So it's just working alongside them in supporting them to coordinate um, the response within within their country. We also, the strategy also calls for community of practice, which is a forum where these national contact persons are organized on a zonal level. And the idea for that is for them to be able to share and learn together, so share best practices, learn from what what each other is doing, and also to be able to enable partnerships. So, for example, Chibeni had mentioned an example of um, someone being someone being in an exploitative situation in Myanmar and then being um, repatriated or helped to reintegrate back into their community. And so, it's being able to actually encourage things like that. You know, be able to, if someone is being exploited in a particular country, you know, if you have, if the contact person knows who the contact person is in another country, then they're able to aid, you know, the journey for that, um, for that survivor to be reintegrated back into the community. Um, but you mentioned the, the national contact 
person, which is, you know, a, an official designation to someone in the territory. How do we actually support them? Um, and what types of things do they need support in? So we were ideally meant to have uh, a zonal workshops where they would get to meet each other and, you know, they would be trained. Um, but obviously because of the current pandemic, that was put on hold. But what we decided to do as a team was then have one-on-one -on -one conversations with each, each national contact person. Um, but what we then realized actually is that a lot of these national contact persons have a wide depth of knowledge about human trafficking and what's happening in their communities. And I mean, we shouldn't really be surprised because, you know, these are people that are from the communities, live in the communities, and really their best place to respond to to the issues that are happening in their communities. And a lot of them have already been doing that. And I think that was really good for us to know. And as the UK territory, uh, you know, and with international headquarters, we are not the experts about, we're not there necessarily to teach them about, you know, human trafficking, because a lot of them have that knowledge. We don't have the knowledge of what's happening in the Philippines or what's happening in Tanzania. But I think uh, the way we provide support is by having the broader picture. So if we, we know what is happening in, in Liberia, we know what's happening in, in India, Southeast, and we can then possibly link, you know, contact persons together to say, oh, like, you know, this, this is what this contact person is doing in this country. You know, I think you could benefit from learning from this. And so our role is really supporting them by doing that research, by linking them, them up with some of our international partners, and then facilitating these learning and sharing workshops, which really they are the ones that lead. So our role is more of a very high-level coordination um, role because at the end of the day, we're, we, we are finding, and that is the case, that these national contact persons are the experts of you know, knowing exactly what you know, exploitative situations are common in their communities and how best to respond to them. Yeah, I really like the sound of that because, um, you know, although the, the strategy itself has been initiated by the international headquarters and rolled out in every territory, what, what you're telling me is, is really as it's being rolled out in territories, it's uncovering the expertise and the knowledge that we have embedded anyway in our territories and it's bringing that to the surface and, and creating spaces then for that to be shared. Like we say right at the beginning of this podcast, people on the front line being able to come together and share experience and share their knowledge and share their, their own expertise. Well, thank you all three of you, Trebeni, Tulumanami, and you've done an amazing job in just giving us an insight into the complexities of dealing with, with trafficking across the world and what an opportunity it is as the Salvation Army to respond. Thanks for giving us just a, a glimpse of an insight into that. You know, I know it's it's a huge piece of work, a massive piece of work, but thank you for your time this morning. On today, the United Nations World Day Against Trafficking in Persons, I think it was particularly apt that we recorded this podcast today of all days. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. My huge thanks to the team in the Anti-Trafficking and Modern Slavery Unit. As always, you can find out more information on our website, www.salvationarmy.org.uk forward slash ID. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Follow and subscribe for news of upcoming episodes. Music